Year after year, we see more and more universities adopting affirmative action. We see affirmative action coming to the public debate, and we see the opinion of the public changing. Hi, I'm Clémentine Vanefonter. I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Toronto, and this is Inequality Talks. Ana Paola Mello is an assistant professor in the economics department at Howard University. She's an applied microeconomist researching topics in economics of education, labor, and development economics, with an emphasis in socioeconomic, gender, and racial inequality. I asked her to tell me about her research agenda on the impact of affirmative action policies in higher education in Brazil. Well, thank you very much, Anna, for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really, I'm really happy to be here. Excited. We're going to talk about a very hot topic, affirmative action policies. So we know that this is a controversial and popular tool in higher education and in the labor market. And before we get started, I wanted to ask you this very difficult exercise, which is maybe summarizing briefly what we know from the research in terms of the effects of AA policies and what is still missing and what we still don't know. Summarizing what we know about affirmative action is, in fact, challenging. So I will focus on telling you what we know about the effects of affirmative action policies in Brazil. It's well known now that affirmative action radically changed the demographic profile of students at public universities. For example, you know, if you were there 10 or 15 years ago, but you come back there now, the university is completely different, especially when it comes to observing a higher presence of black Brazilians. And these positive effects, they are confirmed by research. We have more and more research coming up showing that affirmative action increased the demand for college, as well as the college enrollment of low-income students and racial minorities. And I think it's also um, important to say that with this research, we also learned that this increase in representation, it happened without significant losses relative to student uh, effort level in pre-college stages, which these were large concerns that some people brought up when the implementation of affirmative action was being debated in Brazil. And on the contrary, we've also learned with recent research that students are choosing more selective majors, which can be understood as indirect evidence that students uh, might actually be increasing effort instead of uh, decreasing. Having said all of this, we do need more research especially on changes in pre-college behavior, college persistence, graduation rates, and uh, transition to the labor market. Like you said, we often hear about affirmative action policies from the perspective of the United States. And I wanted to ask you about the situation in Brazil and especially how it has evolved in, in the past decade and also the specificities of higher education in Brazil that makes it really relevant to study affirmative action policies in general. The first specific characteristics of affirmative action in Brazil is how huge they were. The scale of it, taking the fact that Brazil is, is a big country, which brings uh, relevance on its own, but the, the policies were massive. You know, everywhere in Brazil, you're going to have an institution with some type of policy. And that's unprecedented. 
right? I think that that's the, the first point. And this was not always the case. We started late in the affirmative action race. Policies, they started in the early 2000s, but adoption was quick, right? Year after year, we see more and more universities adopting affirmative action. We see affirmative action coming to the public debate, and we see the opinion of the public changing. And in consequence, more and more universities feeling that they can adopt these policies to the point that we reach a federal law that was adopted in 2012 that mandated that every federal university in Brazil would have to reserve a minimum of half of their seats to students from public high schools, which sub-criteria that are income sub-criteria and racial sub-criteria. So this massive policy that is adopted in Brazil, it's coupled with some interesting characteristics that then makes this study a clean study of the effects of affirmative action. So the way that Brazil brings students to higher education is that we take an exam and then we are ranked based on one exam. When the policies come in, it's a clear cut and it's a clear cut to everyone. So students, they understand pretty well well, they should understand pretty well. We don't really know. There is no evidence, actually, on how well they understand the rules. But they should understand pretty well that when the policy comes in, those are the amount of seats that are going to be clearly reserved. And these exams in Brazil are public information. So you really see the distribution of grades. Oftentimes, universities, they release the whole list of people and their grades. I do remember back in my day, we would go to the university and we would look for our names. We would look for our names in the newspaper even when the results were not released online. It's a clear admission process, which obviously it brings particular inefficiencies that we can go um, a little more into detail, but I think that it is unprecedented in the literature how well we can estimate the effects on affirmative action on enrollment and also how well we can think about alternative scenarios based on the way that admissions policies, they work in Brazil. In your own research, you look both at one case study, so you look at one particular university in Brazil, and you also look at the progressive implementation of this federal law. Can you tell us more about the different settings of these two uh, research questions? So in, in one paper, I look at one specific university, which happens to be the university I attended. I obtained administrative data and it studied the effects of affirmative action, both the redistributive effects in that specific college, so what happened to the incoming cohorts, and what happened, right, when affirmative action comes in. And I also, at the same university, I also look at some indirect effects on how students change the way that they choose majors. And we explore from, from that some unexpected strategic mistakes that they potentially are incurring on. Um, and in the second paper, my co-author and I, we joined the set of papers evaluating the nationwide adoption of affirmative action policies in Brazil. You know, but differently from these other papers, we now turn our attention to pre-college human capital and we ask how affirmative action affects demand for schooling. And the reason why we ask this is because when affirmative action comes in, the mechanism that they will affect individual decision is due to how these policies affect one's relative chances of college acceptance. So a natural question is how high school students react to, uh, to this change in their likelihood of being accepted in college. 
which are different depending on whether you are a beneficiary or a non-beneficiary, right? And, and it is different in, in opposite ways. And we will specifically measure in our paper the effects on high school progression, dropout, as well as demand for college. So I first wanted to ask you about the effect on applicant quality, which is something that you, you mentioned, and also the potential unintended consequence of these policies for these applicants. So the effects on effort, it falls into this realm of the strategic responses, right, to this change in your likelihood of being accepted. One might think that, like, what, what is the hypothetical scenario here is that, well, you know, I'm a student in grad school, I'm going to college, my chances of being accepted to college now are relatively higher. One could expect that I would then reduce my current effort because it just became easier to get into, into school. However, we don't see that in the data, right? I believe that in Brazil, we don't see that because competition is intense for public colleges in Brazil. So let me give you an example. At this university that I study, which is not even the most competitive school in the country, is if it fares in the middle of the distribution of competitiveness, we have an, an acceptance rate that is comparable to universities like Berkeley in the U.S., So we are talking about a very competitive environment. In Brazil, only about 25% of students are actually enrolled in the public sector. And they are perceived as the better option, right? They are high quality. They are free tuition. So people really want to go there. So when we see, you know, when we see actually who affirmative action is bringing in, it's bringing in people that are close to the cutoff especially in the majors for which affirmative action is binding, right? If we're talking about selective majors, if we're talking about law majors, you know, med school, engineering, then we see affirmative action is binding. So it's a risky move to lower your effort too much because there is just too many people trying for that specific seat. And even though your probability of acceptance increased, you are still competing with a fair amount of people. This is my interpretation of why we don't see these results. I've been waiting to either produce myself more evidence on that or to see uh, people bring more evidence on, on these specific effects. And on the unintended effect, what do you find in your own study? So as I was saying before, you change, right, the relative chances of acceptance. So now you have the chance to pursue a career that you prefer, right? You, you want that career and maybe you wouldn't choose that career, that major, uh, which in Brazil is pretty connected to the career that you're going to choose later. You would choose something And you will choose or not depending on your chances of acceptance. So now that your chances of acceptance changed, a beneficiary of affirmative action might want to try major that is more selective. I find that, for example, the socioeconomic gap in applications to selective majors, it closes by more than half. 
And that closes even among applicants that had similar ex-ante likelihood of acceptance. There is an effect of this perception of being more likely to be accepted. However, what also happens, and that is largely due to the admission mechanism that we have in Brazil, that you can only choose, well, back in the day, now it's, it's a little different. For most of the time, the way that you choose is that we, you choose one major. Right, you choose one major, you choose one major before you know your, your exam score. So students, they end up, many of them end up reaching too high. And they reach too high and they miss the chance to be accepted in another major. Let's think of an example here, which is an example that I use on my paper, is med school and nursing school. We see evidence that there is a lot of substitution happening between these two majors, that some applicants will switch to uh, try med school, which is more selective than nursing school, and they end up not passing, not being accepted in med school, but they have a high score and they would have been accepted in nursing school. Whether they would go to nursing school, it's a different question. So that's why I believe that a lot of these strategic mistakes that we see could be largely resolved if we gave more options to people. We see in other countries that people can actually rank their preferences. And actually, that's how it's happening in Brazil right now. There is a system in which people can choose more than one major. And I believe, you know, and, and that's, that's an interesting topic for research too, is like, it's like how much this additional choice actually decreases these strategic, these unintended consequences that we saw when affirmative action came in coupled with a restrictive admissions mechanism. Beyond the direct impact on college enrollment of those directly affected by the policy, you also find effect on other educational decisions of other students. Can you tell us more about that? The pre-college, the effects of affirmative action pre-college decisions is the main topic of this other paper that is co-authored with Ursula Mello, uh, who also has her own series of, uh, of papers on affirmative action. And what we see is that, I should make clear that that's a work in progress, but what we currently find is that an increase in the proportion of seats allocated to affirmative action in a specific locality does increase persistence in high school among the beneficiaries, and it does reduce high school dropout among beneficiaries, right? We don't see much going on among non-beneficiaries, so in general, we do see an increase in average increase in persistence and, and lower dropout rates in high school. La minute technique. In this podcast, researchers take about one minute to explain one technical aspect of their research. And I wanted to ask you to maybe give in simple intuitions, what are the potential threats of your methodology in the paper where you use the progressive adoption of the federal law and what you try to do to address it? Threats to identification should be the subtitle of, <laughs> of any paper studying higher education in Brazil. And the main reason is because in the last 20 years, there were so many policies that were tried at once. It's great news for the increase in education attainment in Brazil, but also it's a little of like a, our microeconomist nightmare on how do we actually isolate the effects of the policies that we try to study. So in this paper in which we look at nationwide variation in affirmative action, 
From the affirmative action side, we're going to explore this year-to-year -year variation in the amount of seats allocated to affirmative action in a specific location, right? And we're going to take advantage of the fact that the influence is very local, even though a university adopting affirmative action should affect anyone, it affects more people that are close to college. All right, so this is where the core of the identification relies. However, we do have policies being adopted at the same time, the main one being the introduction of a centralized system in which universities, they voluntarily join the system and then their admissions process will happen through this electronic mechanism. And that, if you look at the progression of adoption of both policies, affirmative action and the adoption of a centralized system, they do happen around the same time. And the centralized system affects particularly one of the outcomes that we are interested in, which is the likelihood that people will register for the national exam, which is necessary to participate in the centralized system. So the student can only try a spot in college through the centralized system if they take the, this exam. And we expect that affirmative action also affects this exam take up. And at first, our first attempt to solve this problem is that we collect detailed information on the seats allocated to the centralized system. So we know from administrative data, we know how many seats universities offer through this program. They don't have to offer all seats through this program, and they progressively increase the proportion of seats that they will allocate there. So basically what we do is that we control for that to try to absorb uh, some of these effects. It's a work in progress, so we believe that we can uh, continue to improve, and we have been revising this work and trying different approaches, especially to provide robustness to our current results. So hopefully, we're going to have a draft to share soon with also alternative ways to isolate these effects and, and hopefully it will hold. We understand that this research is going on on the topic and there's still a lot to learn, but I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the general policy implications of your results on applicants and other types of students and especially what you would do to potentially improve the design of affirmative action policies. What are your thoughts on racial neutral policies and other things you think are important for us to have in mind when we think about these policies? I think that, first of all, I believe that a very positive effect of the set of studies that are coming out is that we can confidently say that affirmative action, in fact, did what it intended to do. It increased the enrollment of people that were historically underrepresented in college. And that is a win because I think with these results, uh, the, just the historical progress also really affected the public perception of affirmative action. So I think we are in, in general solid grounds on, on this being a successful policy. Uh, however, we have to move on and we need to discuss specific design issues that the policy has and also other policies that can take care of these unintended effects, right? So first, we need to discuss college persistence in Brazil. So, you know, the same structural inequality that makes affirmative action necessary 
does not disappear just because the student is now in college. And affirmative action is not a college persistence. You know, it's not a college persistence policy. It's a admissions policy. So we need to think and look at the student and provide support. A lot of students in Brazil, they continue to live with their parents at home, for example, or they have their own home with their own family. They commute long distances to go to college. A lot of them still work either part-time or full-time. So we have challenges to make sure that these beneficiaries are actually going through college and graduating and transitioning to the labor market successfully. Then we have to also look back and make sure that we provide a admission system that gives people the opportunity to choose with more information, right? We need to lower the uncertainty that we have surrounding choosing college in Brazil, choosing a major in Brazil. And that goes beyond having or not affirmative action. The problem is that when this restricted admission mechanism comes together with affirmative action, we are inducing harm on a set of people for whom choosing wrong is very costly. So for these students that are missing their chance to be accepted to college because they, for some reason, thought they had a bigger shot than they actually do, that means they're not going to college at all or they are delaying, you know, best case scenario, they are delaying college for a year. But for a lot of people, that is very costly and they just don't go to college at all. Another topic that deserves further consideration refers to the race-neutral versus race-based affirmative action. So, for example, in Brazil, the majority of affirmative action seats are, in fact, allocated based on race-neutral criteria. We do have evidence that even though race-neutral policies can indirectly affect racial gaps, which happens mostly due to the correlation between race and income levels, we also know that they are less effective in doing so than race-based policies. And I think most importantly, we do have Black Brazilians that attend private high schools or are from high-income families, but they are also subject to restructural racism. Yet, they are excluded from the current affirmative action design, and, and I believe this is a topic that we need to come back to and review our priorities for this policy. So before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you to share maybe a recommendation with us, something, a book, movie or anything that you would like to share with us. It was a very different question. <laughs> I get a lot of inspiration actually from novels. So I would like to recommend one of the most recent ones that I read. There is a lot to unpack from there, I think in our context here, as economists. So it's called Transcendent Kingdom from Ya Jazzy. And she also wrote Homecoming, which is also a fantastic novel. I read this book when I was also a PhD candidate. I was about to graduate. The main character is a PhD candidate. She's finishing up her thesis in neuroscience and she's, you know, reflecting on finishing up school and thinking about what she's going to do next. The book also brings up issues that are relevant to who studies economics of education and, and labor economics. So for example, it brings a discussion of what it means to be a black woman in STEM, also about coming from a family of immigrants. She's also a first generation. And there are other underlying topics like mother and daughter relationship that I think there, there is a lot to unpack. But what really brought me to suggest this book here is that 
It discusses how our experiences shape the type of research topics that we choose to do. And I think that this is a fundamental reason why we also discuss why we need diversity in science, right? Not only from the perspective of the, the person being brought in, but also to improve the science that we do. So for example, I heard one of your other episodes in which you say that one of your papers is actually inspired on your own experience of being influenced by someone that you saw as a role model and that influenced your own research and role model. I thought that that was pretty cool. And that also applies to me, that my research on affirmative action is largely based on my own experience navigating, you know, my educational choices. So those topics are pretty centered to me based on, on my experience. And then I think that other people pursuing a career in economics might find an interesting book to read. Thank you so much, Anna, for sharing this with us. Thank you so much. This was Inequality Talks a podcast recorded by Clémentine Vanifantère in Toronto. I want to thank Clémentine Benoit for editing this episode. Music is by The Count. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.